0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Small Ball Podcast brought to you by Showcase Sports Media. I'm your host, Matt Gregory, and today we have a very, very special episode for you. Today we're going, we're breaking down analytics and baseball in general with the GCU head of the analytics team, Jason Ferrari. Jason is a great guy. I had a fantastic time talking to him. He knows his stuff about baseball. He kind of gave me an inside scoop on what he does and what the analytics department from the college baseball standpoint looks like. Uh, It was a very, very exciting episode. We had a great time. We talked about stuff like the Universal DH, which I didn't hit on last time. It's sad to see it go, but you'll hear my opinion more so in there. We talked about steroid users. All of these things. It's super exciting to see, and it's going to be a great episode. But first, there's one thing i got to touch on. Uh, we got the Washington football team out here. They got another win in the NFL today. Uh, And pretty soon, it looks like we're going to have the Cleveland baseball team. Uh, The Indians had to cut ties with the name Indians as well as tribe. It's definitely going to be a struggle to call them by their new name. uh, But, you know, if it's offensive to Native American people, you know, at this point, let's just move on. I know it's 105 years of history, but if we're hurting people's feelings, let's just move on. You know, it's their name. It's their thing. Who cares? Uh, We got a really interesting episode, though. Thank you all so much for tuning in. I hope that you all have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Peace. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jason Ferrari to the Small Ball Podcast. Jason is the head of the GCU baseball analytics team. Uh, Jason aspires to work in the front office of a major league baseball team, and with the resume he's building, he definitely has a shot for it. First of all, thank you for coming on, Jason. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here, and I'm appreciative of uh, being on the show. Of course. Yeah, thank you for coming. Uh, I know you're a busy guy. You got a lot going on. Season starting next semester.
1: Yeah, season's coming up. Definitely Uh, a workload for sure.
0: Do you mind describing, like, kind of what your everyday role is with GCU baseball? And, yeah, just go into that for me.
1: Yeah, so during the season, it's definitely a lot of scouting Um, with the players and coaches that are coming in that we're playing. There's a lot that goes into kind of getting our guys ready to play them. Uh, In terms of the season, I mainly do pitching. So I work with the opposing pitching kind of to determine uh, pitch tendencies of what, what to expect, kind of what these guys are throwing and what they're comfortable with, and pretty much expect to know what they're throwing and uh during the off season like right now we're doing a lot with player development okay um we'll do a lot of kind of analysis on what they did during the fall or what they did last season um we make pretty much endless amounts of reports for them to kind of break down what uh they can improve on what they've been doing well and how they can enhance that and just kind of get them as ready for the season and then their hopeful dream of the mlb draft as much as they
0: can that's awesome has there been, like, a pitcher that you've, like, had to watch and you're like, wow, like, this guy's going to be legit? Like, you think he has a shot in the big leagues? Yeah, I think I think it's
1: hard because they're all really good friends of mine. Um, yeah. I think two guys especially that have st- stood out to me is uh, Frankie Scalzo, our closer. He's, yeah. His off-speed stuff is just electric. He's got one of the best curveballs I've seen in a really long time. And uh, Pearson Ola, our uh, AC, he just has that mentality and the work ethic that you want to see in an MLB-ready pitcher, and I think – both of those guys are gonna be two names to watch for the season, but no bias to anyone else, of because course, they're all yeah. my guys. Of course,
0: yeah. Everybody's gonna go out and ball out this year. Exactly. But those are just two guys you got your eye on right now. Definitely. All right, so as a kid, did you ever have big league aspirations? Like, did you ever wanna be a professional baseball player? Or has it always been kinda like, I wanna work in the front office, I wanna be a coach, something along those lines?
1: Yeah, so when I was younger, I mean, baseball has always been my life. I've baseball has really just been everything that I've lived for, and I've played pretty much all the way up until high school. Um, and then I knew, like, just being honest with myself, I wasn't good enough necessarily in the skills to play professionally, but I knew that I wanted to do something with baseball. So um, a lot of my choices with college was based off the baseball team to kind of see if there's a shot, if I wanted to be able to work with the team. And I think GCU kind of just had that mesh where I knew um, Stankiewicz was adaptive towards what he wanted to do. He's a well-known coach, respected within baseball, and I knew it was – it's like a big, small school in a way. So yeah. it's like I can get in there and create an impact, but yeah, since
0: I was little, I've always wanted to do baseball. It's just a matter of getting in and getting that first step for sure. Dude, I definitely relate to that. Uh, going into college, it was like, oh, do you want to play NAIA ball, or do you want to go enjoy college?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I
0: went with the enjoy college side, and I, I have no regrets. I mean, this is definitely what I want to do, so... Do you have like a role model, like a person that you look at and you're like, this is, where I, this is who I want to be or somebody that you kind of relate yourself to?
1: Yeah, I think, especially with baseball and kind of growing up around baseball, I think Theo Epstein's a pretty frequent answer. <laughs> That's a close and, answer to my heart. <laughs> yeah, and I think just the way he's able to change the Red Sox and the Cubs and then next year once he's back, uh, I believe he's going to the Mets. So I think the way he could potentially change the Mets... He he's able to develop players from the draft all the way to the big league level, and with the Red Sox and the Cubs, he's able to create not only good teams on a consistent level, but pure star athletes that are able to produce throughout their careers in Major League Baseball. So I think, and I think just Theo Epstein is so well respected within the game of baseball. Like he's when you think of a GM or a president of baseball operations, you don't think of someone who is recognized throughout his city and everyone knows him. And Theo was like that. And I think uh, he's unmatched. I think you can't really compare yourself to him, but it's something that you want to aspire yeah. to be like. No,
0: definitely. He's one of those guys that like you don't really expect a, like a president of baseball operations to change like the culture. Like you think that's, that's with the players, that's what the guys inside. He's like, oh, I'll bring the guys in that will do that for me. Like with me comes a way of winning. So that's a really good. That's a really good comparison to have. A guy that you want to be like.
1: Yeah, and I think another guy too, Billy Bean. I mean, yeah. in terms of the whole Moneyball, being able to pretty much utilize analytics within baseball. Because I mean, baseball is an old sport. I think it has that kind of um, interpretation of being an old-time sport where the fans are older. But I think with Billy Bean and what he did with the Athletics and uh, his ability to utilize technology and Bring a team that didn't necessarily have the money to uh compete with like the yankees or the big money teams but to produce good players on a budget and i think that really inspires baseball and you look at teams like the athletics still the rays all of those teams are able to use analytics towards their benefit and produce athletes that might not necessarily have been the biggest star athletes in high school or in college but to win and to produce well um Overall teams is
0: great. Yeah, and that's one of those things where you look back and it's like, wow, like the athletics, the Rays, but like the Dodgers are doing it too. Like they're spending the money. They're spending the money the way the Yankees are, but they're also on the analytical thing. Justin Turner, Max Muncie, these are all guys that like were nobodies.
1: Yeah, I think Andrew Friedman, he was with the Rays earlier. Uh, Yeah, he he was. He's a genius. I think the ability the Dodgers have, because it's one thing, like I think the Yankees are an outstanding organization, but they have a tendency of, putting a lot of their money towards free agency and the Dodgers have their fair share in that but they've been able to produce homegrown talent and this season especially you saw all of those guys really shine in the World Series I mean Kershaw is going to go down as probably the best pitcher in our generation Um, Justin Turner like you said Corey Seager even some of the rookies like Gonslin and Dustin May all produce Gratterall I mean Gratterall was a trade but it's still all of that young talent they're able to acquire and have instant impact is is crazy and I think That goes unseen for sure, because I think a lot of time, like with Kevin Cash and the whole situation with uh, Nick Anderson, I think it kind of got overshadowed because of one bad decision, but the ability to utilize the technology and to apply it towards a winning environment is huge, and I think so many teams are embracing that, and I think it's just a matter of finding the right steps to make it a winning environment.
0: Exactly. It's being able to find that happy medium. And going into that, uh, what are your thoughts on Moneyball? Like, I know you talked about Billy Bean. I know you're in analytics. But, like, do you think the eye test matters as well, or do you think it's all just analytics?
1: No, I think – and that's something that is definitely seen within college baseball too. Um, The analytics are huge. They help you develop as a player but also as a student of the game. But at the same time, you can't only rely on analytics because when you're out on the field, you're not thinking about – a pitching report that talked about a two-seam fastball on an 0-2 count up and in. Sometimes when it's at bat, you look at those before, but it's the physical ability to play and produce on the field because a lot of these guys that are kind of older in the league, like Brett Gardner, some of the older guys, Nelson Cruz, when they got into the league, it wasn't like analytics weren't used. So I think there is definitely a fine median between the two, but I think with the way baseball is going and kind of modernizing, it's definitely something that it's like an adapt or die kind of thing where teams not necessarily some of the coaches, for example, like Tony La Russa with the White Sox is a more of an older coach and he has to kind of almost learn new systems with analytics because I mean, within each team you have endless arrays of R and D departments, baseball operations, analysts, you have hitting development, pitching development. You have all these different positions that utilize Analytics, but it's the matter of bringing it together to win. And I think with Moneyball, it really highlighted that because Billy Bean and his um, front office were able to implement um, analytics towards wins. Even though they were a low-market team, they were still able to win. And I mean, watching the movie, you can see that there was disagreement within the scouting department, of course. even about it, because it's it's so, especially with baseball, it's such an old sport that changing it is definitely, uh, I disagreed upon. That's why like with the whole DH situation going on, like it's something like that where it needs to change because you have so many instances where these old rules are affecting players negatively or they're making teams degress rather than progress.
0: Exactly, I mean, and don't get me wrong, I've been blessed. You've been blessed. We're Cubs fans. We had good yes. hitting pitchers for a while. Yeah, like I got to see John Lester's first career hit live. Yeah, that was awesome. But having a guy that can actually compete in the batter's box in that role makes it so much different. And even going off of like the National League, like looking at my window, it's also unfair to American League pitchers. Like say Justin Verlander starting Game One Sixty Two. He's an older guy. He steps into the batter's box, rolls it over to third base. Pulls his groin running to first base. Like that's just something that's not gonna happen if he's not hitting. And I don't know. I maybe I'm just babying pitchers like they baby quarterbacks in the NFL. But I feel like they have that skill, so let's just let them do it to the best of their ability.
1: No, I I completely agree. And going back on the Cubs, um, I remember watching specifically one of our relievers, uh, Pedro Stroh. Yeah. He, I mean, he's a reliever, and they rarely get abs. And he came into the box. And he put a ball in play, and he ended up pulling his hamstring and was out for months. And at the time, he was one of our – probably our best reliever loves, at the time. Yeah. So it's, it's – I don't think it's necessarily a negative thing for baseball. I think it's unnecessary because pitchers at the end of the day are going onto the mound, and they're doing what they need to do. And then position players are going in their position and doing what they need to do. I don't think pitchers should be required to hit, especially considering for the American League, pitchers haven't hit in forever. And it's still – It's difficult with baseball right now, too, because even though we had a shortened season, all these pitchers, they weren't practicing hitting. Like Trevor Bauer, for example, who openly admitted he hates hitting, he was on the Reds when there was no DH. So now if he wants to be in the National League, he has to learn how to hit. And I think that's actually a pretty important aspect because guys like Madison Bumgarner who can hit, Zach Greinke, who can hit. They're both older, but they bring that ability to hit. Yeah, and I think it definitely creates a different market for guys because two-way players are actually going to be probably more valued because of the fact that they can pitch and hit. But I do think baseball, with that sense, is definitely degressing because um, I think a DH just makes the most sense. I saw we all saw the positives from it this exactly, season, yeah. and I, it it's. It's one of those things where it's hard to understand why they're not allowing it next season, because it definitely does create a disadvantage for National League teams for sure.
0: Yeah, and I definitely agree. Like, it is fun, like, and it does add value to Bumgarner and Granky. But like, those guys are still like, their their OPS is under five hundred. It's not like they're quality big league hitters. It's like, oh my gosh, they're a pitcher that can kind of do that this. So I mean, I get I get that, but I don't understand. I feel like the game's moving backwards. No,
1: and I I definitely agree with that because even pitchers that can hit, they're not putting up 250 batting averages. Like they're barely squeaking over maybe 200. You're looking at 150, 175. And that's not production. Like there's guys in the minor league systems or on the bench that in American League team are providing solid at-bats and they're getting balls in play. Pitchers 95% of the time are sitting on strike three down the pipe. So it's... It's definitely an interesting connect, and I want to understand what the reasoning behind it is. But as a general fan, like we're not given that, and I think that's something that would make sense to n- implement for the season is universal DH because guys like Kyle Schwarber, for example, who it's sad to see him go, but his market's cut in half now. Exactly. If he was if universal DH, you would have probably 29 teams looking at him because all he does is hit for power. He's an above-average left fielder, but when you have a universal DH, you put him in the 4 or 5 spot, you're going to probably get some RBIs. Exactly. So it's it's definitely a weird thing, but I think it's one of those rules that I think just needs to change, just like the whole this season where it was the three-batter minimum. Uh, I think to an extent I understand why they did that to speed the game up, but there's guys out there where – they Adam cleric on the Dodgers for example he was a prime example uh in 2019 he was there for one he would when he was playing against Juan Soto you bring him in for one try to strike him out and then you pull him and he did a good job at that I understand the term of um the length of the game baseball is long but what people forget is NFL games are three hours long people I it's one of those weird things where people I think it's just because it's a slower paced game but it's equal length, so I don't think it's necessarily gonna change people's minds. I think they just have that kind of false perspective on baseball. For exactly,
0: sure. and that's the thing. Like mainstream media has turned against baseball because of the stigma that it's an old man sport. Uh, and I definitely agree. There's definitely things in there, um, but a lot of it I feel like has to do with the commissioner and the way, like the decision he decisions he makes. This year, coming into the season, it was we need the DH and we need to market our players better. Honestly, they've done a decent job marketing players, but it's sad that I can walk outside on campus right now and be like, hey, do you know who Mike Trout is? And unless somebody's from L.A., they're going to be like, who? Yeah, and, that, and that's
1: what's crazy with me with football and baseball because football obviously is the biggest sport in the United States. Like, that's not a secret. But with baseball, like, it's been around for over 150 years. And within our current society, I could go up to probably 95% of people and I ask them who Mookie Betts is. They couldn't tell me. Garrett Cole, you couldn't even tell me. Like guys that are perennial all-stars and going to be leaving impacts on the game, couldn't even tell you. Albert Pujols, who right now has the best career out of anyone playing right now, mm-hmm. no one knows who he is. And I think that is a credit to the fact that baseball is such an old sport in the sense of uh, modernization. I think social media is a huge aspect. And when you look on Center and ESPN – you rarely see anything with baseball even during the world series you had the nba finals going on where everything was lebron james and the lakers which at the end of the day you market towards what you think the fans are going to want and it's just the principle of majority of the fans are older so majority fans aren't on social media and the whole let the kids play movement's good but the problem is you're not marketing enough to actually draw in the younger fans which is it's crazy to me because I can talk to so many people that don't watch baseball, and they couldn't even begin to list guys off. Like, they know Mike Trout, but Mike Trout is in a league of its own. Like exactly. He is the best player in the game, levels up against the second best player. So, yeah, that's definitely something that's wild within baseball for sure.
0: Yeah, and like, like you said, like, taking the Kyle Schwarbers, like, cutting their market in half, like, that's a guy that people are going to like. Like, Chicago loves Kyle Schwarber not because he was a fantastic hitter with us. Obviously— the World Series, that whole story was amazing. But he's like he, he's used for one whole role. He's not gonna he's not gonna hit opposite field. He'll hit opposite field home run. And cutting his market by taking the DH out, it just hurts the game. Yeah, and I think Kyle Schubert
1: is a very unique situation because over the past two seasons they've played put him in left field and he's shown like he can play. Like obviously he's always been like a bigger guy and usually outfielders are pretty lean. But I mean, people forget. He's playing in Wrigley Field. The wind is brutal in Wrigley Field. So if you have 29 other teams that could be looking at him, you look at the Diamondbacks, who have a pretty uh, hitter-friendly ballpark. Yeah. The Dodgers, where the ball flies there. The Rockies. The Rockies have no use for him because of the fact that, I mean, they can get outfielders, and he's kind of expensive. I mean, the Cubs weren't willing to put $8 million on him for the season, but... Now, like, the teams like the Yankees they, and the White Sox, they have no reason not to try to go after him because with the White Sox, Ender and Car- Edwin Carcion, mm-hmm. tough name.
0: Yeah, very tough. He's <laughs> old,
1: and he didn't really do anything last season. So the White Sox needed DH. Uh, Kyle Schwarber can mash. Why not bring him into Chicago? I mean, yeah, the wind's going to be somewhat th- – but the ballpark itself at Wrigley is definitely wind-cohesent. So I think the White Sox are a good example. The Yankees – I mean, the Yankees, is, it's not a big stadium. So you're looking at a full season, 40, 45, maybe 50 home runs out of Schwarber, which is crazy because his market is, like you said, cut in half. And there's plenty of other players like that, too, that their market is more appealed towards American League teams because of the, the um, divide between the American and National League.
0: So how crazy of a thought is it? I said this a couple times. I've been tooting this horn. You said Theo's going to the Mets. I definitely could see that. Cohen's going to give him everything he wants. Yeah. Uh, the Ricketts family, they did that for him for a while. And then they're like, all right, we spent $500 million on renovations. You got to go. What if Theo became the commissioner? Like you said, he's respected. Could you see it happening? You know,
1: it's interesting because every like not everyone, because baseball, like we said earlier, but – he is so well-respected within baseball operations that I don't think he would want to do commissioner. I think he would be a pretty solid candidate. I think he understands the modernization and changing of baseball. But I I don't know. I think with the Red Sox and the Cubs, he went in there knowing he wanted to change the entire mold of the organization. And I think with the Phillies hiring Dave Dombrowski today, which, I mean, he's good, but I think it's – I was – I was surprised. I thought they were going to hold out like the Mets. Yeah. And next season, go at it between the Mets and see if they can get Theo. Because Theo, you're going to get a World Series championship out of Theo. He guarantees that, and he's proven that. And the Mets are in a really good spot because their farm system's developing. They have a lot of young guys, and they got young talent that, although are not fully developed, if you can get free agents like Trevor Bauer with Noah Syndergaard coming back. George Springer has been rumored to go there. And they have a new owner, and he's been – very open about spending a lot of money so if you have a guy like Theo you're able to spend big money develop the farm system the way he has been because in terms of developing farm system I don't think there's anyone better than Theo because the Red Sox developed such an array of young talent under Theo the Cubs I mean you look at the 2016 World Series I would say 85 percent of the players were homegrown players that the Cubs really developed besides our rotation which was mainly guys that we traded for, development is huge for Theo, and I think the Mets really need that because they've pulled out their last GM. I mean, the Edwin Diaz trade, you talk about a travesty. The, yeah. the fact that they traded Jared Kelnick away was brutal, and I think they really took a couple steps back and they have that ability to move forward, but I don't think Theo would be a good fit for commissioner. I hope he doesn't because I love Theo Epstein, and I would hate for him to start doing stupid stuff and then to like downgrade guys. that. Yeah. Fair enough, okay. So, because, I mean, Rob Manfred, although he gets disagreed upon, I think he's done a decent job, but he gets ostracized.
0: Yeah, oh, he definitely does. Yeah. It's one of those things where, like, as a fan, you gotta be like, oh, yeah, I hate this guy, but, like, there, there, there has been things he's done right. And you go back and you list, like, this is a specific example. He was talking about well, we weren't going to play more than 60 games anyways. And it's like, oh, well, why were you negotiating? And he was right. Why he said we weren't going to play more than 60 games was because of the breakouts they had right before the season started. So the media, like I said, the media has so much power over sports, and it has power over baseball. The narrative on him is bad, and I don't know if it's ever going to change. So, Yeah, and I think –
1: Sports in general, I think Adam Silver is probably the only exception within the major sports because he's very well respected. But like Roger Cadell, um, Rob Manfred, I think they're just kind of put into that fire because you're never going to please fans. you got 30 different organizations with 30 different mindsets and 30 different fan bases. So you're going to have mixed thoughts regardless. And every decision you make, you're always going to have someone that disagrees with it. I think he's in a tough spot because Bud Selig, the um, prior commissioner, was very old school. Like, baseball, in terms of, like, advanced technology and anything like that, that wasn't a thing. So, like, Manfred's done a really good job in terms of modernizing the game, emphasizing let the kids play and stuff like that. So I think he definitely has had his positives. Do I agree with every decision? No. Like, the DH, I think, is definitely a poor choice. But I think he's definitely taking the right steps in order to modernize the game even more. So I don't know. I think this season is going to be a real telltale sign because – a 60-game season was—it was cool, and like it was nice to see baseball. But the whole extra inning rule—it's it's very minor league, and like yeah. that really messes up relievers because you're almost wanting to just give up the run because then you can work around it and hope your offense gets two. So I hope, in terms of next season, I hope I don't see that because I'm a pitcher guy. I've always worked with the pitchers with the baseball team at GCU. It—it's it, an ugly look on a pitcher when you're basically. Even though the run doesn't count towards your ERA. You get the loss. You're going to get the loss. And, it, it I mean, you're not doing your job.
0: You're, and you're throwing pressure pitches.
1: Uh, yeah. Going into an inning with pressure doesn't happen. You have relievers coming in in this situation, but you don't start an inning with pressure. That's why I, I think it creates a false mental state within baseball because pitching is 90% mental and 10% actual skill. Because you can talk to any pitcher. The second you do something wrong, your head starts to fire up, what do I need to do different? What do I need to change within my approach to get this guy out? And the second you go onto the mound and you turn around you got a guy at second, that's scoring position. that That's a bad situation. And with no outs, I mean, baseball shown. You've seen with stack casts and all that stuff during the games, it'll give you percentage that the run's going to score. That run's most likely going to score. Because even if you get the ball in play, he's going to third. So I think it definitely is a rule that should be changed and shouldn't be added because it doesn't yes it speeds the game up but extra innings is what makes baseball fun it's like overtime in football it creates excitement so I think that's definitely one thing that's interesting but I do think that and the DH definitely need to uh, be changed for sure
0: okay yeah and like as a pitcher I pitched in high school coming in with a guy on second base my immediate thought is oh I need to strike the first batter out Well, and then I end up walking him. Now I have runners on first and second, and I'm like, I need to get a ground ball. Then I throw a ball in the dirt, runners on second and third, and this is all stuff that could be avoided if I wasn't put in that situation to start with. So I completely agree with that. Uh, So another thing about old school and new school, what are your thoughts on steroids? Should guys who use steroids be in the Hall of Fame? See, steroids are tough because,
1: you know, in the 80s and 90s, baseball was kind of falling down. And I think... With the recent documentary with Maguire and Sosa, um, you know they both were hated because of their steroid use, but they really created an exciting part of the game. And I think that kind of just continued down the road with guys like Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, um, all of those guys. And I think although it is cheating, I think it created excitement for the game. Do I think it belongs in the game? No. Because I think there's guys out there who work their entire lives to get on the field and then they're competing with guys that are cheating. And I think within baseball, it's kind of, you almost, you see way less cheating. I think Robinson Cano is the only like big name that's caught cheating. And I think, you know, I personally believe if he didn't cheat, he had potential, of a Hall of Fame career. Yeah. Because he put up respectable numbers, but the second you cheat, you damper your career. And that's why like guys like Barry Bonds um, and Roger Clemens, like Barry Bonds has the most career MVPs. Roger Clemens has the most career Cy Youngs, but to what extent did they actually would have had if they didn't cheat? Cuz you look at Young Barry Bonds on the Pirates, like he could have put up a Hall of Fame career even without roids. Yeah. Obviously with roids, like he was hitting home runs every other at bat. Like he was probably the greatest home run hitter of all time, but with roids. Same with A-Rod. I think A-Rod had the potential of a Hall of Fame career, but he cheated. So, like, you, you kind of you take a step back and realize you have to look what could have they done if they didn't cheat. That's why I don't I don't think personally guys that cheated should be in the Hall of Fame. Because the second they are, then I think guys like Shoeless Joe Jackson, who, I mean, is long passed away, but he gambled on the game, and he actually never did. They couldn't prove it. Pete Rose. Yeah. Pete Rose is the all-time hit leader. And I think it's – although he cheated and bet on his own team, it wasn't like he was – Throwing games He was betting on his own team And it almost used his motivation exactly. It's like I just put a $10,000 on this game Let's I win. need to get 4 hits And steal 6 bases exactly. And he did that clearly I mean he led all of baseball in hits So I think if they allow
0: Bonds and Clemens in Then they should allow Rose in Okay um, I definitely am kind of on the same page with you there I have the fool me one time uh, With steroids You know it's going to damper you uh, that's the way I believe. Like, Barry Bonds was just so good that I, I can't keep the best hitter of all time out of the Hall of Fame. Sammy Sosa, you know, him and McGuire, they're a different story. They're not Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, just transcendent. So I get that, and I believe Pete Rose does belong in the Hall. I believe Pete Rose shouldn't be in Vegas begging people to take pictures with him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. the guy deserves more respect than that. He does deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Same thing with Bonds. I think what people forget just
1: because you're taking steroids doesn't mean you're gonna hit a home run on every swing Barry Bonds I mean he could hit he was hitting home runs more than anyone ever did and I mean yes steroids helps in terms of power and staying healthy and being able to do that but you still have to hit the ball like you can't discount Barry Bonds ability to hit home runs A-Rod's ability to hit home runs Sosa's ability McGuire's like you still at the end of the day Need to be able to hit the ball exactly. So I think guys like Hank Aaron You look at him where he did it clean Babe Ruth you did it clean Uh, That should even Almost elevate their abilities even more Because those guys were able to hit Several hundred home runs Without cheating but then guys like A-Rod and Barry Bonds were able to do it But they had enhancements That made it much
0: easier Okay, Yeah I definitely agree with that And you look at a guy like Mike Trout And it just makes you appreciate his talent even more I think, I mean, when you really look at it, Mike Trout is, he's
1: special. I think in terms of greatest of all time, I don't know if he will reach that because of the fact that the base, it's hard to say greatest of all time with baseball because it's such a different sport every single decade. You look at early 2000s, right? You have guys like Derek Jeter, Ken Griffey Jr. Like those are the goats of that decade. And then you look back in the 70s and the 60s. You have guys like Mike Schmidt, George Brett, Hank Aaron. Like, you can't really compare them exactly. because they played in such different games. Like old timers like Ty Cobb, Honus Wagner, Babe Ruth. Like, it's you don't know what they were going against. They were going against fastballs. Mm-hmm. So, because there was no such thing as off-speed during that time, so it's really hard to say Trout could be the greatest of all time. I think for what he's doing and how hard baseball is now, there shouldn't be necessarily an argument that he will be one of the best ever, because you got going into the bat, batter's box. You could be going against Yu Darvish, who proclaims to have twelve different pitches. Like I don't care how good your analytics are, it's so hard to predict that because there's such disgusting movement on the pitch. Like, do yourself a favor and go watch Devin Williams changeup. Yeah, it's a changeup, and it has the most movement I've ever seen on that pitch you're not hitting that I don't care how good of a ball player you are so baseball baseball is just such an interesting sport because people oftentimes claim like yeah I can hit a 90 mile power ball yeah okay but like <laughs> go ahead and do it and then go try to hit a curve ball go try to hit a slider because even with the way the ball is moving they're throwing it where you even if you make contact you're shanking it into the ground or you're popping it up like these guys are artists that's what i like to say pitching is an art because it's such a mechanically based thing where you have to create such a fluent motion with your body to not only execute the pitch but to fool the batter because anyone if you have different deliveries and setups for a pitch you can figure that out quick enough but with pitchers it's the ability to deceive the batter and then continuously do it throughout the game and i think pitching especially is just I mean the whole game of baseball is an art because you can claim that it's easy but then once you go play guys that are elite level athletes it comes to reality real quick that baseball is probably the most skilled sport there is.
0: Yeah, and you talk about deception like a guy like Chapman throws a 100. Yeah. But he also has to have that slider. Yeah. Because you want to know why they're watching that fastball. People like you are sitting in the analytic room and they're like, "All right, this is what he does when he throws a fastball." Mm-hmm. And he's got to relearn every off season how to pitch So he's not found out. And that's just insane. That's why, like, you're right. Pitching is an art. And speaking of pitching, uh, Clayton Kershaw in particular, uh, what's your your thought on pine tar? Because it's one of those rules that's a written rule technically. You shouldn't do it. But they kind of just ignore it.
1: Yeah, I think with pitching, so obviously with a batter, you see it on their bat, it just helps them with grip, and it allows the ball to move different. I think with pitching, it's a lot different. Because if you can get a better grip on the baseball— you're looking at significant increase of spin rate, and then that's going to overall – that's going to determine the end of the at-bat. Because you look at guys like Trevor Bauer. He has elite spin rate on every single one of his yeah, pitch. he does. You had pine tar. you're looking at a whole new pitch. Like, there's no way you're going to hit that because his curveball is going to drop even more. And, I mean, Pintar and offense, sure. But even then, there's to an extent. I think with pitching – it would be such a disadvantage for hitters that it would make the game just a pure pitcher's duel every game because there's nasty pitches out there. You, like I said earlier, Devin Williams' changeup, you had pine tar to that thing, no one's going to hit off of it.
0: Yeah, and I agree with that. I'm just confused like why they don't say stuff sometimes because like in in the World Series, I think it was Game 6, it was so obviously on Kershaw's cap and he kept rubbing it, but no one said anything. And Trevor Bauer came out and was like, oh, that's one of the things. We just don't say anything if we see it. Well, then just make it a lab for everyone then. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and I think that's just one of those interesting things because you can go on YouTube and watch compilations of guys cheating on the mound. I think, I think it's to an extent. I think there should be certain variations that you can use and that okay. you can't because there's some stuff that just helps them grip the ball. Like if it's raining out and yeah. it's like torrential downpour – you can't get a good grip on the ball. So if you're able to use pine tar or something along that line to help in that sense, then sure. But if you're going to be putting on loads upon, like, pine tar, Vaseline, like, then you're making it to the point where it's going to be impossible to hit the ball. Okay. So I think that's a tough situation because I think, yeah, that's just tough because it. I see both sides, but at the end of the day, it makes the job of the batter so much harder.
0: And that's the thing, is that's insane that there's guys that can hit 300 against what we're seeing. Yeah. Because, like, to the average everyday person walking down the street, they're like, wow, 3 out of 10, boo-hoo. But, like, when the, when you're facing a bullpen like the Rays, you face Blake Snell to start the game. Then you get Diego Castillo, who's throwing 100. Yeah. Then you get Nick Anderson, who's throwing 100 and has a slider. Then you get Aaron Loop, who throws, like, from his shoelaces, it's just insane.
1: Yeah, baseball. I think guys like DJ LeMahieu, Whit Merrifield, they go underappreciated because those guys put up two hundred hits every year. LeMahieu is a consistent three hundred batter. People are like yeah, three out of ten, but they're they have six hundred ABs during the season. Exactly. So that means they're getting two hundred out of the six hundred ABs. That's ridiculous. And you got to look like once you starting pitchers are good because they can last long they have a good pitch mix but then you get into the bullpen where there's guys that maybe have two pitches maybe three and it's the best pitch that they have so you're looking at elite level pitch i mean hitting is hard enough as is but if you're able to consistently hit 300 or 280 275 like you're in a mob team but you're excelling at such a high level that's why like guys like trout like you have to look back and just appreciate the work he puts in, in Mookie Betts, too. Like, those guys are average hitters. They can hit for power. They can work on the base path. Like, those are five-tool athletes that are able to play against the
0: toughest baseball we've ever seen. Exactly. So, if you could sit down and just go to a ball game and have a hot dog with any player in baseball, uh, all-time, who would it be?
1: Ooh, all-time. That's tough. Um... I'll do a current and all time Because I feel like current I don't know I I have my Cubs bias So if I'm going Cubs bias I would say Anthony Rizzo Yeah Because I feel like he just Would have such an interesting conversation with Uh, In terms of non-Cubs That's tough Um, You know honestly I feel like Madison Bumgarner Would be an interesting one Because he's kind of a quiet guy But like the World Series run that the Giants had and the pure dominance that he had, it's, it's unmatched. And I think he would be an interesting guy because he kind of started out baseball where it was less high-tech, and he's gone to now where it's almost all-tech. So I think he would be an interesting one. I think past... Past would be tough. Um, I guess... I think a common answer would be Babe Ruth. Okay. But I think it would almost be like to pick his brain to kind of see like what he was actually going against because at the end of the day everyone knows who Babe Ruth was but like we don't know actually what he was facing. Yeah. So yeah they were throwing hard but if they're only throwing hard once you figure out a good swing path and what you need to do to hit the ball then it's a lot easier. So I feel like kind of sitting down with him and breaking down what he was able to do. I mean it was no secret that man was a raging alcoholic. He was. (laughs) He loved his cigars. Heavy. Heavy set guy, yeah. but he mashed and like he did his job so well. So I think it would be an interesting conversation for, for sure to have with him.
0: Yeah, and it's one of those weird things where like every picture you see of Babe Ruth he either has alcohol in his hand or he has a cigar. Yeah, so, he seemed like he had a problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Babe Ruth, definitely one of the greatest. So I definitely understand that. Uh, so, this is the last question I have for you. This is something I ask everybody I talk to. Okay. And I think you kind of answered the question, but I'm going to ask you again, anyways. What do you believe is more beneficial for a hitter, knowing what pitch is coming or using steroids?
1: No question knowing what pitch is coming. Uh, like I said earlier, steroids help you in the long term in terms of health, being able to. Because you're playing 162 games. That is a long season. That is the longest season by far in any major sport. So you need to stay healthy you need to be able to produce steroids helps that it's a healing a lot of times when it was not illegal they used it to help guys heal faster and to allow them to grow strength and obviously now it's an illegal thing where it's against that but knowing what pitch is coming will 100 percent allow the batter to figure out where he needs to sit in the box if he needs to choke up if he needs to do what adjustments need to be made in order to hit the ball and i think obviously with the recent astros thing you saw that in guys, and I think with Jose Altuve this past season, Alex Bregman this past season, Correa. Correa had a good year. I think Correa kind of showed his true talents this season. But knowing what's coming is going to allow much better results. Yeah. And I think the Astros. And I think it's hard to just point the fingers at the Astros because the way technology is, I mean, it's it's not hard to figure out what's coming. Exactly. Guys are pretty fluent in what they want to do. Yes, there's different codes that the catchers and pitchers use to mix things up, but they're still following what they're comfortable with. I mean, if a guy only throws three pitches, it's not going to be that hard to figure out what's coming. You're sitting on one of three pitches. And there's baseball knowledge that goes into that. Yeah, I talk to the guys on the baseball team all the time. They just have a feel of what to expect. Like in an 0-2 count, you're most likely probably going to see one of his better off speeds to put you away. So if you're sitting... Slider a curveball, then you're more likely to see it. It just depends on the guy, and that's like even with our reports that we do and the scouting reports that I do, it's understanding what they throw in each count. Because with the stuff that I have, I can figure out, okay, this closer throws 96, but his off speed he throws 99% of the time on 02. So if he's throwing a 02 slider, you know what to sit on. Yeah. So I think it's it's definitely much easier to play at a high level when you know what's coming for sure.
0: Fair enough. And you look back at what you Darvish said, he's like, "I don't know why I just felt so uncomfortable in my first start there." Yeah. And you got to imagine they're like, "Man, like they're reading 13 pitches. They're like, "All right, six bangs." <laughs> yeah, and I think you Darvish
1: like you see the season he had this year. He put up career numbers. And I think he had such a poor reflection on the Astros and Dodgers World Series. I mean, yeah, he didn't perform but they knew it was coming. And with you, Darvish, he throws 11, 12 pitches. So it's like, he's not used to that. He's like, no one ever knows what's coming because I throw a new sequence every at-bat. So I think with guys like that and then Verlander's coming out and saying that the balls are juiced in the postseason, which I don't know to what level that's true. I mean, it seems safe to assume because home run numbers are through the roof in the postseason. But like pitching's hard enough as is, but when you know the ball is juiced and then the guys know what's coming... Like you're not going to get out. You're going to give up runs. That's why I find it so interesting with the postseason, when you see star pitchers struggling, and like significantly struggling. Like you look at Nick Anderson this off season. He just wasn't pitching well, but like he was lights out all season long. Like he was named to the first uh, MLB All Team this mm-hmm. season as a reliever. So he was one of the best relievers. But then he gave up a run seven out of nine games. So it's, it's definitely interesting because I think knowing what's coming is definitely an asset, and steroids are definitely an asset, but it you can change the game significantly if you know every pitch that's coming.
0: I was going to say, I could take steroids, and I still wouldn't be a big league hitter. That's, that's what I argue
1: with Barry Bonds and A-Rod. They cheated, but they still hit 700 home runs. Exactly. Like, I could cheat, or guys on our team could cheat, doesn't mean they're hitting 700 home runs in a career like that takes a lot of skill and a lot of talent do i think they deserve in the hall of fame no but you can't discredit their play for sure
0: fair enough all right well thank you so much jason uh if you have anything you want to say go ahead uh yeah i mean
1: i appreciate the time uh make sure to go out to the gcu baseball games because uh it's going to be a good season
0: i think we're going to be making some history on the field all right well thank you guys all so much for listening i hope you have a great week peace